Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I am Andrew, an Autistic Certified Financial Planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. Today, our guest is Don Scully Sakura. Scully uh, has Asperger's syndrome. Uh, she specializes in studying entomology, which mm-hmm. is insects. Um, she's been in autism advocacy since her brother was diagnosed with autism in the early 90s. Hey, Don. Thanks so much for joining us today. So we start by asking our guests how they like to identify. And I'm talking about pronouns, uh, you know, she, her, they, or any pronouns and also your uh, autism identity so on a spectrum autistic asperger's what are your preferences oh um i'm female so she her you know pretty standard um and uh, i do identify as a person with asperger's syndrome so yeah nice i think that's our first one who specified that as their preference would you agree Eileen? yeah i think you're right yeah. Cool. So, very cool. So uh, can you tell us uh, again about your diagnosis, what led to it, what it was, how your life yeah. changed since or didn't? Well, um, back in, I don't know, when my brother was like really little, uh, about three or five, um, he started having some behavioral issues and needed support from the schools and the like. And he was diagnosed originally as PDD NOS. And then um, as time went on, they were like, okay, he's high functioning autism. And he had a lot of seizure disorders, uh, a lot of challenging uh, aspects to growing up with him. And it wasn't until I was about 28 uh, when um, there was a study out of UIUC, no, not UIUC, sorry, UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, um, and they were doing a siblings brain scan study. So basically to utilize uh, MRI brain scans to sort of identify, to see if they could use that as an identification tool for people on the spectrum. And um, so they were comparing siblings that whom they thought would be, you know, neurotypical, healthy uh, representation, comparing them to their siblings and also having a control cohort of um, siblings that were basically non-ASD. And uh, it really was the functional MRI that helped identify me as uh, an individual with Asperger's syndrome, because basically I do strongly present as um, mostly neurotypically passing. Um, I am very quirky in my presentation and it does cause interpersonal relationships issues. Um, And that really came out uh, in my mid to late twenties, especially as I got out of my undergraduate program and moved into sort of very female centric professional environments where uh, a um, typical social profile of a female is more highlighted. 
I don't have those. Um, so uh, that that's kind of one of the things that I was like, okay, I'll participate into this research study because one, I really enjoy uh, contributing to si the scientific process, myself being involved in science and research. I also like to participate and help other researchers achieve their goals. And uh, that sort of all wraps up with autism advocacy because I grew up with that. Like that was my community. Those were my peers. My brother has autism. And then um, at that point, it was unknown if I had Asperger syndrome or any ASD spectrum. They just thought, you know, neurotypical, let's see. And it was, uh, it involved um, a look at family, family genetics as well. So they were looking for like fragile X to sort of like rule that out in blood. Um, Cause that was one of the few things that was known to be a biological indicator for a possible autism spectrum profile at the time. Um, and that was the early 2000s, roughly. So around 2006, 2007, 2008. I guess that's not like early 2000s, but it's 2000s. So. And uh, so you use the term Asperger's, which like we said was uh, like the first time I think someone prefers it. Um, that's the term I was diagnosed with too. And, you know, I, I, I like it. Um, so do you identify with it more than any other? Seems like it. And why? Um, I do. I strongly identify with Asperger's syndrome because that is the diagnosis I was given. Um, it represents my position on the autism spectrum as an individual with an ASD profile. Um, and I think that's very important because it helps establish in communication. It's a communication vehicle. It establishes to others um, what kind of supports and services I may need in terms of like professional um, situations, employment, um, just in general. Um, the term Asperger syndrome has a well-established, understood profile of how it is in the autism spectrum. Whereas like, for example, PDD NOS is a little bit more nebulous. Um, and sometimes it presents challenge for actually receiving services, uh, which is part of the reason why my brother had to be multiply evaluated because he wasn't receiving the correct services for him. And then they established that he was high functioning autism. And that helped uh, pinpoint better services and supports for him as we were growing up. So I believe each of those particular sub groupings, subheading and labels um, while there's a lot of controversy here today online with regards to those, I think they are extremely beneficial diagnostically and for communicating an individual's personal needs and supports for themselves. Uh, for me, Asperger's is that. And when I say I have Asperger's syndrome, um, I believe more people understand what that means for me in terms of my peer groups, in terms of my family members, and in terms of the general public. Um, I believe, I mean, both autism and Asperger syndrome are kind of 
recognized um, and they're recognized together, but each of them has their own uh, understood profile, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. So no, and, and it does. When you say autism, that could mean someone like Charlie. It could mean someone like Jude, right? From my, so, you know, although there could be good as a scientist, quantitative ways of, you know, referring to someone that you can see the value in that. That makes sense. So you're finishing your PhD in entomology. Can you tell us a little bit about how your interest in insects turned into a career? Okay, yeah, how, how my interest in insects turned into a career. Well, um, so my undergraduate days, I did biochemistry. Uh, I love science, I love doing research. Uh, and then I sort of navigated adjacently to librarianship. Um, and I was gonna do like a career in bioinformatics and uh, science librarianship. But I realized that my true passion has always been insects and studying insects. So I just decided to pursue both a master's degree and then go for a PhD in entomology. Um, kind of one of those things of, I guess, YOLO, you, you only live once. I really love insects. That's what I want to do. So that's what I chose to do kind of thing. Um, I, I really wanted to do it. So I, force of will, chose to make it happen and communicated with various universities um, and didn't take no for an answer um, when I got turned down and I just kept looking for a university um, that could train me in entomology. That seems uh, like a, a very specific interest um insects do you have any advice for uh, someone who would want to pursue employment in their special interest don't give up um you're gonna face a lot of uh barriers uh both uh personally professionally and developmentally um people aren't always gonna understand why your special interest is of importance or of value, like for example, me just following a bunch of ants, who would ever think that's of any true importance? But if you find why it is important and then you can work towards communicating that with someone um, who will then take value and see value in it, uh, you can turn your special interest into a, um, a career goal. Um, it, it really, it's taking problem solving skills and then just going forward. And like I said, don't, don't give up when someone is like, I don't understand why that's of any interest or value to you. I mean, let's say even your interest is in gaming or um, you do like, um, like role-playing that's if that's your special interest you could even turn that into something that would be career worthy it's just um establishing uh how to make that work his response was yeah that's that's definitely literal thinking there for, for you uh his ability to interact with uh the social world is uh significantly more limited 
um, in what he's able to participate in. And I don't think that's the fault of him or his autism. I believe that's a fault of society being unable to integrate him, especially for the times period that we grew up in. Um, early 80s, late 80s, early 90s, um, people didn't even know what autism was. Um, and I know a lot of people get upset for some of the advertisements that uh, were created that reflected those time periods. Um, but when I look at them, I do see an accurate reflection of my lived experience and what happened to my brother, what happened to my family. Um, it was a very isolating time. Um, peers in high school, peers in grammar school, they didn't understand. Um, I, I had uh, peers in high school that really didn't want to interact with me until they heard uh, a program on the radio that was describing autism. And only then did they change their social interactions with me uh, to try and start including me and coming over to uh, my house and including me in social engagements. Um, but for my brother, um, and since he was diagnosed first, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot worse of an experience for him because not only did he have a lot of seizure disorders um, and communication difficulties and behavioral issues, but like people in stores would try and call the police on my family um, because he would have so much sensory overwhelm being in the shopping center at age five that he turned, he, he just melted down. Um, and uh, there was no supports, uh, even in restaurants, you couldn't really go there because uh, they would look at a person with autism as though they're just disobedient, that behaviorally they need to be more discipline, um, that it's the parent's fault for being uh, abusive or um, unresponsive to the child's needs. Um, just a overall lack of understanding, lack of awareness of what autism is, how it impacts a family. And um, yeah, uh, it is definitely a very isolating time to, to period to grow up in. Um, yeah, I feel like it's still true. Uh, yeah. nowadays on, on a lot of uh, I mean it's gotten better because we have more awareness but it's still not uh, not great um, so did that have an effect on your uh, advocacy um, when I, when you say um, that you do uh, autism advocacy like what, what do you mean what, what advocacy have you uh, been involved with and uh, how do you decide which organization to support uh, yeah, um, it, it definitely had an impact on um, my personality development and what kind of advocacy I go towards, uh, predominantly grassroots. Uh, and I, I've, been in, I've been involved in advocacy 
uh, specific regards to autism for a really long time. Um, basically, as soon as my brother was diagnosed, uh, there wasn't so much as active advocacy back then, but I would explain to my peers that my brother has autism um, and try to give them some brief understanding of what that would be like. Uh, and then as I got older, I got more and more involved. Uh, for example, um, I mean, I'm technically still a Girl Scout now. I'm a lifelong Girl Scout. Uh, but I was in Girl Scouting when I was younger, and uh, one of their highest awards to achieve is the Girl Scout Gold Award. And for my project, I created um, a website called uh, DFDN, so DuPage Families Disability Network.org, uh, and it, it's still in operation today. And uh, what we do with that organization is we bring uh, local um, local personnel like um, disability like PACT or Ray Graham. Uh, these are local disability organizations within Illinois, specifically around the DuPage area. And we bring in speakers at our library and have them present. So uh, topics such as uh, transitioning, um, student needs, um, adult transitioning, and uh, then general disability issues for like, it doesn't even have to be autism. It could have been like something like cerebral palsy or uh, Down syndrome, um, but trying to connect our local um, community, uh, which is, uh, Basically, my, my hometown is Lyle, and then all of the DuPage area with disability professionals. And um, another topic uh, we would bring up would be ABLE accounts. I don't uh, know if you're familiar with those. They're for individuals with disabilities, usually uh, established before age of 26 to um, help um, they can uh, They can allow individuals to pay for certain expenses while still being exempt from government benefits. I'm a certified yes. financial planner. I was an ABLE ambassador with the ABLE National Resource Center, and I speak around the country to other professionals and families on ABLE accounts all of the time. So, so what can everyone do to, you know, be more kind to each other? What can people do to, you know, advocate in a way that is, you know, as accepting as possible. Um, stop targeting people for their diagnosis. Mm. Uh, <laughs> allow us to use the um, language we need to communicate our needs the best, um, be that Asperger's syndrome or autism or yeah. functional labels. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's very controversial online, and it, it really needs to stop. Um, it's it's not beneficial to families. It's not beneficial to individuals on the spectrum. It needs to change. Um, it's it's not going to help any of us in the professional world if we keep doing these kind of arguments. 
uh, that are semantics based. Um, and so what would you say to the person who says, well, it's not a diagnosis anymore. So you're the one distracting from the conversation. Why don't, what would you say to that? It's definitely still a diagnosis. Um, my paperwork didn't change any. Uh, I don't see them stepping up to the plate to offer to pay for a new diagnostic procedure. And uh, it is how I get accommodations at work as a diagnosis. And they're not there in the office with me when I have to communicate with HR or communicate with a medical professional. So they're just, you know, it's not distracting from the conversation. It's my life, it's my diagnosis. And they're going to have to start respecting that, especially if they want people to listen to autistic people. Uh, individuals with Asperger's syndrome are amongst that and they need to hear us. That was a great answer. Uh, perfect way to, to end this uh, interview. Um, well, we do want to know where we can uh, find you online. If you have a Instagram, Facebook, anything, uh, now is a good time to tell us. Um, well, uh, I'm on ResearchGate. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I am on Facebook. And I also have currently a GoFundMe set up for uh, trying to get a service dog to help me with some of my other disability uh, issues, both Asperger's syndrome. And then um, I do also have uh, endometriosis. So those two kind of things sort of tie together in creating a disability profile for me. Could have talked about that too. Um, yeah. Well, we'll share in the, when we, we go live. So hopefully you get some, some help. Um, going to ask you some quick fire questions before we log off. So I'm, first answer that comes to your mind. Uh, you ready? Okay, sure. What's your favorite animal or pet? A uh, bearded dragon and a praying mantis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite drink? Uh, not water. <laughs> not water. Um, root beer. What are you scared of? I'm afraid of um, falling off the earth. As in, to explain that better, I'm afraid of um, not being able to communicate my needs properly in a professional sitting um, and being misunderstood. What was your dream job as a child? I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Entomologist. <laughs> that's great. Uh, okay, so this question, we actually started uh, taking uh, notes on it to see what people answer, okay? Uh, so the question is, is glow-in-the-dark a color, a property, or both? Uh, it's a property of a color. <laughs> so both or property? Well, like, Definitely. so for example, the glow in the dark, we should have something glow in the dark, Eileen, to hold up, to show someone. That's a good idea. We need to buy something so you can hold it up on the podcast. 
as well. I guess they were yeah, we visual do. people, right? So, but like like that yellow, like like that glow in the dark when the lights are on, like that color. Is it a property, a color, or both? It's definitely a property. Uh, it's uh, usually fluorescence um, or incandescence. So, uh, scientifically speaking, I have to say it's a property. Only a property. Okay. Yes. Got it. So. You're fine. Sorry, Andrew. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Sorry. Um, I, I, I accept the scientific findings of the community. So. Okay. Yeah, that, that was it. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming today. That was a great, uh, it was great meeting you. Yeah. Great meeting you. Thank you. I'll see thank you, you guys for coming. In the community. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.